Well, good evening again. Open up your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 6, as we are making our way through the Bible, chapter by chapter, book by book. Uh, We came as far, we've been as far as Ecclesiastes chapter 6, and we'll start in verse 3. Now remember, Ecclesiastes is written by Solomon. It doesn't specifically say it's Solomon in the book, but it's the only one in our landscape of the Bible who fits everything that the writer of Ecclesiastes reveals about himself. The only thing that fits is Solomon. So Solomon is, he's a guy who the Lord has arranged to do some things for us. And that is that he gave him unprecedented wealth, access and privilege and power and position to do anything he wanted. And he was given, given that opportunity to go explore it all and do it all. And he's written to us in the book of Ecclesiastes, his experiences there. What he concludes is that there's nothing there. You know, that's, that's so contrary to what we are presented in the world. We are presented with, you know, for my time, uh, it was the lifestyles of the rich and famous and... You know, they were held up as everything you wanted to be. Their palatial mansions, their, their, you know, their McMansions, their boats, their yachts, their all the th- stuff. You know, you only see glimpses of them smiling and tan, and they got great teeth and hair. And, and, and oh, if I could just be like them, I would be happy. If I just had their stuff, you know, and that's the that's the image that's presented to us through the media and in the world. That's what we're taught to think from the earliest times, and uh, so along comes this guy, Solomon, courtesy of the Lord, who does have all the lifestyles of the rich and famous, and he now is writing to us about all that he did and and has gone through there and and saying, look, it's all just a waste of time. So it saves us a a whole lot, doesn't it? I mean, we don't have to try to strive to go there then. We can just look at you know, rich old Uncle Saul, uh, Solomon, come along, put his arm around us and say, let's just take a walk and let's talk about life here for a minute. And, uh, you know, I've done it and, and been there, done that, and let me tell you all about it. So um, here he is, uh, chapter 6, and uh, he has uh, begun to talk about life. And again, his his philosophy here that he's going through also is summed up in the phrase that you see in the Bible a lot, um, that, that, that the world parks that whole idea of you need to strive for more under this, under this banner, although they don't use this banner, Solomon does, it's under the sun, and the sun is S-U-N, you know, the mainline yellow star that's 93 million miles away, that's the sun we're talking about, not the S-O-N, the son of God, we're not talking about that. Solomon's going to try to, um, in that way of living life purely for the material things, trying to forge a life in that way of thinking, he is going to um, have to um, forge a life apart from God. You know, he's kind of keeping God at arm's distance. Occasionally he talks about him here, but he's... um, he, he's going to talk about life from the standpoint of um, just purely finding your way through this life. Verse 3, he starts to talk about covetousness. He says, If a man begets a hundred children and lives many years, 
so that the days of his years are many. Now, that's the mark in their thinking of somebody who is well off, has everything that you could hope for. There was, there was no greater mark of a fulfilled life than lots of kids and a long, long life. And so here's this guy. He's proposing. Here's a guy just like that. He says, but his soul is not satisfied with goodness, or indeed he has no burial. I say that a stillborn child is better than he, for, for it, or the, the stillborn child, the child that's, that dies you know, right at birth or just at, you know, um, uh, in delivery or something, something tragic like that. He's saying that kind of a child is, is better than that wealthy guy who, who's never satisfied. For it comes in vanity and departs in darkness and its name is covered with darkness. Though it has not seen the sun or known anything, this has more rest than that man. Even if he, being the rich guy, lots of kids, even if he lives a thousand years twice but has not seen goodness. Does he do not all go to one place? Um, uh, he, he's, he's saying, look, it, it, you, know, you, you, you might have um, the benefits of what could be uh, a really well-off, blessed life that you would strive for and really want. But if you're never satisfied, if um, you know, you have, you're, you're constantly desiring more and more and striving for more and more, or um, it says, uh, but a foreigner consumes it, you know, if, if, again, random life things that come upon you and sweep across your life takes it all from you after you've strived for it your whole life. He's saying, what's, what's the point? You know, here's a stillborn child. Here's you. You're both going to die. And you were never satisfied. He says, the kid, the kid that never saw any of that was free of that, better off. He says, do not all go to one place. What was the point of that? You know, he's kinda, he kind of does this a lot. He kind of strips away um, through comparisons a lot of illusions and leaves you with the, with the sense of, you know, what's the point? And again, that's the way the book started off. Again, under the sun, S-U-N. What's the point? And so uh, dealing with life from that point is pretty fatalistic, pretty bleak. He says, all the labor of a man is for his mouth, yet his soul is not satisfied. For what more has the wise than the fool? What does the poor man have who knows how to walk before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of desire. This also is vanity and grasping for the wind. Um, So um, he's saying... um, you know, you take a wise man, again, in his philosophy of under the sun, you take a wise man and take a poor man and put them in situations where they're both lacking food. What's, what's the difference, you know? So you're wise. You're still hungry. You're still going to starve to death. What's the point of you being wise? Um, and, and so he says, better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of desire this is also vanity and grasping for wind. Again, uh, in, in that kind of a mindset, under the sun, 
it's better, he says, to just be content with what you have and don't spend all your time uh, struggling and longing for more and more and more. Now, again, as Solomon, our preacher here, goes through this and lays out this philosophy, uh, he is occasionally going to say some wise things. And occasionally, he is gonna, he's going to march through some real nonsense. And uh, we're going to look at those things from the standpoint of the light given to us in the New Testament. Um, and, uh, you know, again, he's trying to keep God at a distance and not invoke him in any way. But unfortunately, as he does, he, he, he can't help but avoid God in a lot of ways. So anyways, whatever he, verse 10, he says, Whatever one is, he has been named already, for it is known that he is man, and he cannot contend with him who is mightier than he. And since there are many things that increase vanity, how is man the better? Again, very fatalistic here. Kind of camping out um, on God's sovereignty as, um, you know, this kind of mindset um, of, of survive in the world, you know, uh, but maybe tip your hat to the concept of God. Um, you know, it's, it's the idea of, well, God already has already appointed everything for me, so what's the point, you know? Um, I, you know, what, what can I do to change God's mind? Um, whatever I'm going to be, he's already determined it. And so, again, his, the conclusions he ends up in are very bleak. He says, you know, how is man the better? What's the point? What's the point of all that? For who knows what is good for man in life all the days of his vain life which he passes like a shadow? Who can tell a man what will happen after him under the sun? Um, you know, verse 12 is kind of interesting. Um, again, from his standpoint, uh, he comes upon a bit of truth here, I think, in, in looking at the emptiness and meaningless of all the striving, you know, you, you don't know what's going to happen to you. You work hard to make your, you know, to have a nice life and, and random events fall upon you and you can't ever enjoy it. But here's somebody else who never saw anything, you know, they were rock bottom poor, but they were content with what they have. And he's like, you know, he kind of holds up and says, I, I don't understand what the point is here. But in here, he's, he steps on, a, on something that's really interesting. For who knows what is good for man in life all the days of his vain life. Now, that's kind of, you know, you've you got a meaningless life, so how do you know what's good for you? Well, something in there is true. And when he says, for who knows what is good for man in life, even from his standpoint of this under-the-sun philosophy, he could see that people just don't know what's good for them. We just don't have any idea what we really do need. <clears throat> we have an idea of what we want, what we think would be good for us. And so uh, we have our idea that if I, I, you know, if we made more money, if it was warm f- you know, instead of cold for six months out of the year here, that would be, I'd be much happier than that. And we got a list of things that we think would make us happy, but we, or if it would be good for us. But in reality... Um, he's right. We don't know what is good for us. You know, for us as believers, we ought to um, recognize that truth. We just don't know what is good for us. I mean, you know, we don't want bad things to come upon us. 
We don't want those. We don't want, you know, the unwanted divorces. We don't want the unwanted change in health. We don't want the, the loss of a career, you know, and those kinds of things. And yet, how many people got saved because of one of those things? I mean, you know, how, how many people's testimony because of an unwanted divorce led them to a place of brokenness and they got saved? They didn't want that. They wouldn't have called that good, but... I mean, do we really know what is good for us? If we hadn't been through those hard times, would we have been saved? So we have no idea, really, what is good for us sometimes, in, in, in some very significant ways. So I think he steps on something really profound here. Um, we don't know what is good for us. Who can tell a man what will happen after him under the sun? Well, you know, um, we do know some things. The New Testament light tells us some things about the future. We can predict some things. Again, but from under the sun, and S-U-N, you live, you die, life goes on without you, forget about it, you know? Kind of really bleak. Um, and, and, you know, we, as we look at Ecclesiastes from that standpoint, wow, as we compare that to how we are free from that kind of empty, futile, meaningless life apart from God. How thankful we should be um, that we have been delivered from, from having to find our way through life in that kind of meaninglessness uh, that is presented here in Ecclesiastes. I think that's a really necessary lesson that comes out of Ecclesiastes. We've been delivered from that. We have so much light and truth and, and, and the love of God and promises that uh, change everything. Now, in chapter 7, it kind of changes here. Um, he, again, is going to give us some proverbs that he's going to come up with in his concept of life under the sun without God and independent of God. And uh, he's going to try to invent a way of navigating went through all that. And so he says, um, he says, a good name is better than precious ointment. The day of death than the day of one's birth. Better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting, for that is the end of all men. The living will take it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by a sad countenance the heart is made better. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. Um, You know, again, as he just kind of makes his way through life, uh, without God, he recognizes that, that it's a trap to just go through life and ignore the reality of death, because death is coming. And, you know, that's just a reality that is true. Unless we are raptured, we're all going to die. And he's looking at that from the standpoint of under the sun, and he says, you should look at this. And it has something to say to you now from his standpoint. Um, and he says, you know, it can straighten out a lot of nonsense in your life if you just think about the fact that you're going to die. And uh, when you get go to a funeral, he's saying, that's good for you because you have a chance to consider your own mortality and make some adjustments. He says, it's, it's foolishness to just go through life from party to party and just look for the next happy thing. And... Um, um, he says there's, there's wisdom to be gained there in examining your own mortality. Now, again, under the sun, S-U-N, there is some wisdom there. 
to just take stock of your life and um, that way. But when we draw that into the New Testament and look at the light that's given to us from what well, what does the scripture say in Second Timothy? Let our Lord Jesus brought life and immortality to light. When we bring that the New Testament revelation and and use this statement here, it becomes a much more significant statement here. From New Testament, knowing what we know, um, he says, it's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for that is the end of all men. You know, we, we take this scripture a lot of times and we preach from it during funerals here because uh, of the weight of what he's, what he's saying here. Um, uh, you know, even in the Psalms, Psalm 90, um, back in Psalm 90, verse 12, he said, um, so teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Um, you know, our, again, our culture that is operating in that life under the sun really has nothing at all to say about death. I mean, it's, they know it's there, but it's ignored for the most part except to, you know, uh, earn a buck by scaring you to death with it in movies and entertainment, um, but really it has, you know, there's no answers for death in that kind of uh, mindset. It's just a big, dark unknown from which nothing ever escapes and nothing ever comes back. Um, but you really can't understand death um, unless you understand life because just from a simple observation, Death is attached to life. So if you, if you want to understand death, you better understand life. And so, uh, again, you know, our culture, um, it's commentary on life as well. If you're rich and young and beautiful and, you know, have power and privilege, that's life. And so, uh, you know, that's, I'm sorry, I missed all of that. And um, um, so, you know, what's the point then? Um, but, you know, the, the scriptures, when, when we go to the scriptures, we see spiritual realities that bear weight on that. And we find out that life is spiritual and is primarily spiritual. And the physical reality is really just a coat of paint on um, what is really happening spiritually. Um, and, uh, you know, life is, life is spiritual and it's given by God. And the meaning and purpose of life is to glorify and know God and enjoy his love. And um, so um, when we, you know, have a chance with, uh, uh, in the ministry here at Calvary Chapel to have a room full of people that we will never see again, and they're gathered here for a funeral, we usually go to this verse, something like this, and preach the gospel to them. Because that's, that's one of the few times that people will sit and listen when they're confronted with death. It's very easy to say, this person is dead. Someday you're going to be dead. You need to think about your mortality. And um, so, you know, uh, in a lot of ways we agree with Mr. Solomon here, but uh, we take it uh, much farther than he does with his uh, step into wisdom there. 
Verse 5, he says, It is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. For like the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of a fool. Um, so, uh, you know, he's, again, in his philosophy, he's saying, um, you know, there's times when you need to be corrected. You're just doing the wrong thing. And so um, nobody likes that. And, uh, but he's saying, look, compare that to a fool who's just, um, you know, whooping and shouting and yelling and, and having a good time. It's fun to be around him, but it's, he says it's worthless. It's like the, uh, you know, that you put the thorns, put the dried weeds under your fire, and it just makes a lot of snapping and popping, and it burns real hot real fast, and then it's gone. And uh, he says that's, that's like a fool's. Um, uh, the fool's partying. And so he's, he's saying, um, you need to be able to hear rebuke. That's, the, I think, the point of what he's saying in verse 5 and 6. So can you be rebuked? Or are you in a place where you just don't think you need to learn anymore? We, you know, as, as believers, we should be meek and we should be open to correction. And so um, there you go. Uh, He says, surely oppression destroys a wise man's reason and a bribe debases the heart. You know, in in his thing, he's saying, you know, you could could be rebuked through a hard time or something like that. And he says there's value in that, but also hard times can can take somebody who's wise and and wreck them through, through so much oppression and lead them to do, you know, rotten things, corrupt things, and a bribe debases the heart. So he's saying, you know, there's, there's value in hard times and rebukes, and then there's dangers there too. Again, he's, you know, he, he's, his under-the-sun kind of philosophy is, is kind of trying to draw a middle road down, the, down the, the center of life and find his way through it. And, you know, uh, as we think about that, again, I am so glad that I don't have to get up every morning and try to navigate that way through life. It was murder. Uh, before I came to knew the Lord, uh, you know, I thought I understood life and and the course of life of of career and education and stuff. And boy, it was just falling apart. And um, uh, you know, I I uh, am glad that it fell apart early for me, uh, so that I could uh, come to know the Lord a lot earlier uh, rather than later in life. And uh, I'm glad that that I don't have to go through what He's going through. And that is to try to invent a philosophy of life that it gets you through in the face of that kind of meaninglessness. Um, he says, verse 8, The end of a thing is better than its beginning, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Do not hasten in your spirit to be angry, for anger rests in the bosom of fools. Um, again, talking about uh, just general... Don't be impatient. Don't be angry. Just kind of plain wrap uh, everyday practical wisdom. He says, Do not say, why, why were the former days better than these? For you do not inquire wisely concerning this. You never thought, you know, think back fondly on the good old days. You know, and we, we are so selective in our memories. Uh, we sugarcoat 
all, you know, your first car. You remember your first car? I think fondly of my first car. It was a 72 Vega. If you know anything about cars, you know it's one of the worst cars ever made. You know cars, you just laughing your head off. Why would you like a Vega? Um, you know, the plastic dashboard and the rotten, mile, it was just terrible, aluminum block that cracked and everything. But, you know, as you think back on, oh, my first car, it was so cool, you know. And uh, I actually uh, ran across a Vega for sale in the area, and I was thinking fondly of my Vega, and I, and I pulled over, and it was on a, you know, kind of self-service service car lot for sale, and I went out and looked at that, and <laughs> I looked at that car and said, thank you, Lord, for delivering me from that. What a bomb. And um, uh, that took care of that. Um, you know, he says plainly, you know, you, you don't inquire wisely concerning this. Um, you, you just need to take what you have now and enjoy it, is his practical wisdom. Now, that's not a bad thing. But, but again, we can go beyond that uh, in the light of the New Testament. He says, wisdom is good with an inheritance and profitable to those who see the sun. For wisdom is defense as money is a defense, but the excellence of knowledge is that wisdom gives life to those who have it. Again, in these verses, he's saying, yeah, you can get, a, you can get an inheritance, but if you don't have wisdom, it can be like, it's gone, you know, you spend it foolishly. And um, he's saying the best, the best situation would be to get the money and wisdom because then you're, you're, well, you know, wisdom is a defense as money is a defense. You, you know, you got some cushion there in life. He says, verse 13, Consider the work of God, for who can make straight what he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful. But in the day of adversity, consider. Surely God has appointed the one as well as the other, so that man can find out nothing that will come after him. That sounds a lot like what happened at the end of chapter 6. What can happen after him? You don't know. So uh, his point here is just to say, submit to the puzzling ways of God and learn to enjoy it all. Um, um, Verse 15, I have seen everything in my days of vanity. Um, He's going to make a point here that, um, again, in this kind of philosophy of, of it's all here and now and it's under the sun, he's, his point is going to be don't stand out in any way. Don't draw attention to yourself because it's bad for you. He said, I've seen everything in my days of vanity. There's a just man who perishes in his righteousness and there is a wicked man who prolongs life in his wickedness. So, again, in his, his statement there is like, well, what you would think ought to be right is the righteous live a long, prosperous life and the wicked get it early. But he says it doesn't work out that way. It doesn't work out that way. Random events come and sometimes the righteous, the good, they are suffering from random events. And sometimes the wicked never get it, and they go on into the old age, and it seems like they get away with it all. So here's his conclusion about that. Verse 16, do not be overly righteous, nor be overly wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Do not be overly wicked, nor, fool, nor be foolish. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you grasp this, and also do not remove your hand from the other. For he who fear gods will escape them all. Um, you ever heard the phrase... Everything is good in moderation. 
That's kind of what he's saying there. Um, now that, again, makes sense in the light of his philosophy that you know, God's not on the horizon. We're just trying to find our way through life. I don't want to be somebody who's noteworthy. I'm going to get too much grief from that kind of um, success and, and that pressure from succeeding that way. But I don't want to be Mr. Wicked either because, you know, that, who knows what that's going to lead to. So I'm just going to be right down the middle and, and not try hard to be anything. Don't be extreme. Be average. Um, uh, you know, this is, uh, again, I think, uh, a really bad um, philosophy in his, uh, in his under the sun. It's really bad advice. Um, can we compare this with what the New Testament says in 1 Timothy chapter 4? Um, the wisdom that comes out of the New Testament and out of light is, this, or bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and that which is to come. You know, his philosophy was don't try that hard. Don't be overly righteous. You know, just, you know, it's good in moderation to go to church. It's good, to, you know, that's okay, that works. Yeah. But don't overdo it, you know. But the New Testament says, no, 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 no. You need to exercise yourself towards godliness because there is a life after this. Solomon's philosophy is absent of all that accountability in eternity. But when we bring that in, we live very differently. We strive. We want to have a great deal of godliness in our life and strive for it and work towards those things. Even if we do stand out. Because look, the world's not going to accept us anyways, right? If we're going to accept, we're going to accept Jesus. They hated him. They're going to they're going to hate us. And so uh, we go ahead and pursue the Lord, like like David said, "My soul follows hard after you." And so um, we are going to be um, living lives that. Well, other people would say, you know, he's got religion and he's gone cuckoo. He's, you know, he's extreme now. Well, they're saying that because there's a bit of conviction coming out of your life now. And they're trying to rationalize away that with some sort of, you know, dismissive generalization. Because in your life, serving the Lord, pursuing the Lord in a serious fashion, it's a witness to them. So they have to dismiss that. Okay, um, let's keep going. Uh, Verse 19, wisdom strengthens the wise more than ten rulers of the city. Um, There is not a just man on earth who does not, who does good and does not sin. He's saying, okay, yeah, so everybody's a sinner. So what's the point? Well, again, he kind of steps into that realm recognizing, okay, yeah, you know, everybody's a sinner. But he just walks away from that as that philosophy does. So, you know, I hope my good deeds outweigh my bad. Everybody's bad. You know, everybody makes mistakes. Well, that's not the right question to ask, is it? It's the logical questions and the right questions to ask. Is everybody's a sinner. How did we get that way? And what do you do about it? Those are the right questions to ask. And those are the questions the New Testament answers, right? We go back to Genesis. We see the fall fall of man into sin and separation from God, and then we see that God has provided 
for that sin problem in his son. That he's, he's out of love for us, taken all our sin on, his, on himself and paid for it so that we can be restored back to him. But he never asks those questions. Again, it's under the sun, S-U-N. Verse 21, also do not take heart, take to heart everything people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. For many times also your own heart has known that even you have cursed others. Um, you know, again, there's a bit of wisdom here I think that's appropriate for us. Um, don't take to heart everything people say. Um, you know, we're all guilty of um, speaking ill about other people, you know. And so um, we ought not to take it seriously when other people talk about us. And nobody wants to be judged by their worst moments. And so when that uh, is presented to us, we should then use a bit of grace and mercy and um, deal with people on a different level. And I think that's the benefit of getting older is you begin to realize that we're all capable of very, very bad mistakes and, and just doing things for which, you know, a lot of a lot can be said negative. And so, again, we don't want to be judged for our worst moments. So let's not judge others for their worst moments. <clears throat> Verse 23, all this I have proved by wisdom. I said, I will be wise. But it was far from me. As for that which is far off, and exceedingly deep. Who can find it out? He said, I went, and went looking for wisdom and I never got to the end of it. There's just nothing that, I couldn't get to the end of the matter. I applied my heart to know, to seek, search and seek out wisdom and the reason of things, to know the wickedness of folly, even the foolishness and madness. And, uh, and I find more bitter than death the woman whose heart is snares and nets, whose hands are fetters, he who pleases God shall escape from her, but the sinner shall be trapped by her. Here's what I have found, says the preacher, adding one thing to the other to find out the reason, which my soul still seeks, but I cannot find. One man among a thousand, I think that thousand is an interesting number, uh, I have found, but a woman among all these I have not found. Truly, this only I have found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. Okay, well, uh, he's talking about disappointment with mankind in general. He talks about women and he talks about men. But um, I think these verses are more of a commentary on Solomon and his treatment of people than it is you can, uh, on any sort of people. Um, remember, he had, what was it, 700 wives and 300, women, 300 concubines? I mean, this is a guy who really uses women. And so... I'm not surprised that he has surrounded himself and, and, you know, with, with, with women that are treating him badly. <laughs> I'm sorry. 700 wives, 300 concubines? I'm sorry. You did not have 700 wives. You had 1,000 ladies that you kept around just for your convenience and for your sexual gratification. You had no relationship with them. That's complete nonsense. To say you had 700 wives. Really? No, you didn't. <laughs> if the Song of Solomon, which you get to next, is, is done by Solomon, when we think it is, he may have been truly in love with one woman the way it's meant to be. The other ones, well, 
you know, again, I think this passage is a strong commentary on the fact how poorly he treated women. And so he, I'm not surprised that he can't find uh, somebody that, that, well, he says, I can't find any women. Well, <laughs> it's your fault, pal. It's not theirs. Um, uh, one man among a thousand I have found, but a woman among all these I have not found. Truly, this only I have found, that God made man upright. Well, that, that's not um, um, a current statement. You have to say, when, he, when he's talking about God made man upright, you, he's certainly referencing the original creation. And, um, but uh, since then, men are fallen. And uh, chapter 8 here, he says, Who is like a wise man? And who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the sternness of his face is changed. Okay, so there is some benefit to wisdom. It can change your outlook a bit, change your attitude. Um, and now he's going to talk about um, reality, you know, the, the idea of obeying government from the standpoint of his philosophy under the sun. You know, don't ruffle any feathers, he's basically going to say. I say, keep the king's commandment for the sake of your oath to God. Do not be hasty to go from his presence. In other words, don't run away from your duties in, uh, that are before the Lord or that you have promised to him. Do not take your stand for an evil thing, for he does whatever pleases him. Um, where the word of a king is, there is power. And who may say to him, what are you doing? Don't challenge the king. You know, in that kind of, um, uh, that kind of arrangement, the king's got all power. And it, it, just from the practical wisdom, living life, trying to get by, you know, don't make the king mad is the idea. That's a bad idea. He who keeps his command will experience nothing harmful, and a wise man's heart discerns both time and judgment. Because for every matter there is a time and a judgment, though the misery of man increases greatly. Okay, um, I think he's commented a little bit about these circumstances already back in chapter uh, three, when he when he talked about that famous, you know, that famous passage that he talked about. He says, "There's a time to everything, every purpose under heaven." Kind of sounds like that. Every matter there is time and judgment. Um, um, you know, he's, he, I guess what he's saying here is obedience and respect is the safest policy, but be sensitive to timing. Um, you know, uh, you can, and, and I think there's some wisdom there uh, for us, even, even in his uh, godless sort of under-the-sun philosophy, there's, there's some truth in what he's saying. Timing is really important in uh, in matters of life, you know, you can you can know what the right thing to say is, but you could say it at the wrong time, and it becomes the wrong thing to say. If you've been married at all, you know that's true. Uh, um, timing is is really important in communication, and and um, so how much more so when you know it comes to matters of what could be life and death before the king. 
be sensitive to timing. There's a time to, to, to pursue matters and a time to just let it ride, and there'll be a better time. Even though, it says, though the misery of man increases greatly. Look, he's saying, you know, there might be, though, though things are bad right now, it, you know, it might not be the right time to, try, to, to try, try this proposition or whatever you're doing. Again, under the sun, that's his philosophy. For he does not know what will happen. So who can tell him when it will occur? No one has the power over the spirit to retain the spirit, and no one has power in the day of death. There is no release from that war, and wickedness will not deliver those who are given to it. So again, he stands at the place and says, okay, so you, 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 know, you did something to ruffle the king's feathers, and now here you are you know, on the edge of death. So what did you get yourself? For all, your, uh, for all your efforts in that, saying uh, you don't have the power to save your life at that point. And, and he says something, I think, really interesting. He says, no one has power over the spirit to retain the spirit. No one has power in the day of death. There is one exception to that. You know him. Jesus had power over his own life. Uh, go to John chapter 10. Jesus said he had power over his own life. We and I don't. You and I don't have that kind of power. We cannot release ourselves from our, our spirits, from our bodies. But Jesus said he did. John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18, talking about being the good shepherd. He says, I... Um, um, Therefore, my father loves me because, again, as the good shepherd, who I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my father. He says plainly. He has, he has the authority over his own life. And look at it. I'll show you when it uh, was worked out in John chapter 19. John chapter 19, Jesus is on the cross. All the necessary uh, prophetic elements at the cross have been fulfilled. And um, verse 28, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be, fulf- might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. And you know what? So do I. So I'm going to take a drink. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And look at the next sentence. Bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Uh, he had, it doesn't say that he died like it was just the end of the process. And No, it says he gave up his spirit. He had the power to release his life, and he did it at that point. So we go back to Ecclesiastes, and um, I am just struck by that phrase. No one has power over the Spirit to retain the Spirit, but Jesus did. We see it in John. Um, So verse 9, All this I have seen and applied my heart to every work that is done under the sun, there is a time in which one man rules over another to his own hurt. Again, as a ruler, he would see this. Have a lot of people underneath him, a lot of 
um, uh, administrative officials, uh, you know, a very broad government, a lot of people to take care of. And you can see sometimes you just get the wrong person in there, and it just goes bad for everybody. Then I saw the wicked buried, and he's going to talk about the problem of injustice and evil. I saw the wicked buried who had come and gone from the place of holiness, and they were forgotten in the city where they had so done. This also is vanity. Again, this is really frustrating, and this is empty, he's saying. Who's this guy? Well, uh, he was wicked. He died, but he had come and gone from the place of holiness. In other words, he was a guy who was religiously active, but he was living a wicked life. And then he dies, They have a funeral for him, and it's like he got away with it, you know, from that standpoint of under the sun, without accountability in his philosophy to the eternal, uh, he got away from it. What's the point of that? What's the point of going to church or doing that? You know, they got up at this funeral, you know, eulogy means, you know, they have a eulogy. Eulogy means to speak well of, and that guy was wicked and, and... but people got up there at his funeral and they said, oh, we're so sorry, he's God, oh, he was such a great guy. And, and Solomon says, this is a joke. Again, we have greater light than that, right? We know that there is, uh, there is an eternal reward, uh, an eternal punishment also. Verse 11, because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Uh, that's, that's an interesting bit of truth that he steps into there. Uh, you know, God says such a thing in the scriptures. He says, in the Psalms, he says, um, he says, I saw you doing evil, and because I didn't say anything, you thought I was altogether like you. In other words, you know, I, I didn't act right away, God says, on what I saw you doing. Therefore, you thought you could just get away with it, and it didn't bother me. And uh, um, right here, I think there's a real, a real truth. Um, God is patient with sinners, and that can easily be misunderstood to be in, in wicked mind that's hard. Oh, well, God doesn't care. No, that's not the truth. The truth is in accountability to eternal things, wickedness is always judged. We may not see it in this life, but wickedness is always judged. Nobody gets away with anything. You may not see it in this life. And so he's he's going through this. He, he's getting he's, he's going through his philosophy of you know again what's the point is is his kind of idea under the sun. This guy was wicked. He got away with it. Yeah. But he says, well, okay. So though a sinner does a evil a hundred times and his days are prolonged, yet I surely know that it will be well with those who fear God, who fear before Him. Again, you know he. As he goes through his life and tries to hammer out a philosophy, he can't keep God out of it as hard as he's trying. And he just kind of says, turns to those who are being religious, says, don't stop fearing God. Even though, you know, this guy looks like this guy's got away with it, still don't lose respect and fear for God. 
Verse 13, but it will not be well with the wicked, nor will he prolong his days, which are as a shadow, because he does not fear before God. Verse 14, there is a vanity which occurs on earth, that there are just men to whom it happens according to the work of the wicked. Again, there are wicked men to whom it happens according to the work of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity. So again, watching, you would think, in life, that it's easy to assume that if I work hard, obey the laws, do what's right, that things will go well for me through life. And just straight line extrapolations, you know, get me blessed and uh, well off and prosperous. But that doesn't work that way, does it? We have, we have a, in this life, uh, it's very random. And uh, lots of, lots of, uh, circumstances come out of nowhere that change people's lives. And uh, in, in that kind of a materialistic philosophy, wow, it could be very, very frustrating. But us, as children of God, those who are living life for the Lord, have accepted and received him, can look at those turns and those sudden twists of life and, and um, not be undone by them because there's a greater reality behind all that. Again, the material is just a skim coat of paint over the spiritual. And we are going through life, and um, the Lord has, has us well in hand, even when something comes out of nowhere and changes the landscape of our life. We can still rest in the Lord and in his faithfulness. Because this isn't all there is. There is uh, a temporary nature to what's going on here and these have an end but those things that are eternal never have an end and so we rest in his love we rest in his faithfulness and he carries us through very different from from solomon's philosophy he just says i don't get this so verse 15 in his empty philosophy under the sun s-u-n i commended enjoyment he says, because a man has nothing better under the sun than to eat, drink, and be merry. Uh, for this will remain with him in his labor all the days of his life, which God gives him under the sun. So he says, you know, for all that, all of these wish-washy, who knows, who knows, who can understand it, random, I don't know, it's a waste of your time, just enjoy what you have. Verse 16, when I applied my heart to know wisdom and see the business that is done on earth, even though one sees no sleep day or night, then I saw all the work of God, that a man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. For though a man labors to discover it, he will not find it. Moreover, though a wise man attempts to know it, he will not be able to find it. Okay, what's he saying there? He is saying that um, no matter how hard you try, you're never going to understand everything God's doing. And that's true. We know God has prophetic plans for this world and some of the things, but uh, for all the things that are happening in this world, we just, don't, we just don't grasp it, all the things that the Lord is working out. That's why uh, to try to find a reason why some of these random things come upon us um, you know, the, the devil's always standing by when something bad happens and there's a sudden turn. And he wants us to misinterpret him. He wants us to, wants us to interpret it that it's um, uh, 
coming from God because, and then he, you know, leaves us or suggests things to us that would put us at odds with the Lord. He's getting even with you. You did this bad. You know, you got this coming to you because that. And um, the devil would love to take those turns, twists and turns of life, and have you engage in character assassination towards God. Um, But, um, you know, the truth is we just don't know all the things the Lord is working out and why life turns that way. Don't trade what you do know for what you don't know. You don't know why this is happening. Don't trade away the truth that God loves you, that he's paid for all your sin on the cross, that he has a plan and he loves you and he's working it out. Don't trade what you don't know and dismiss what you do know. Devil wants you to do that. Don't let him do that to you. And just a, um, a verse into chapter 9 as we finish. He says, For I considered all this in my heart, so that I could declare it all, that the righteous and the wise and their works are in the hands of God. People know neither love nor hatred by anything they see before them. <laughs> Again, he's kind of flatlining here. And um, uh, he just, you know, kind of throwing his hands up, and I give up kind of thing. Um, he's, he's starting to undermine his own philosophy in some ways. As much as he's talking about God, he's got to go out there and get meaning for this, and he can't do it without going and standing in a spiritual place and realizing that God's behind this stuff. And so um, um, we, should, uh, we should finish there because he's going to start to change topics. So we will. Uh, Why don't we stand, and then we will pray, and we'll go. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that we have been rescued from this kind of empty, frustrating life. Thank you, Lord. We don't understand everything that's going on, but we know you do, and you have those great and precious promises to us that we're going to stand in. You don't need to explain everything to us, Lord. Just seal us up in your love and your mercy and your grace. Show us yourself, and that'll be enough. Thank you, Lord. Send us out uh, being filled with your spirit, and use us this week. We love you, Lord, and pray in your name. Amen.